You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. If you were in worship with us last Sunday, you might recall our reading from near the beginning of Luke chapter 17, where the disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith. And we talked last week about how faith, at least in the way Jesus seems to be addressing it here in Luke's gospel, is not so much about belief, about believing the right things, but rather about something different. The word itself is more closely translated as commitment, increase our commitment, our confidence, our trust. It's not a belief that we have when we're talking about faith, but rather a faith that we live, that we embody. Jesus, increase our commitment and our confidence and our trust in you that we might live that faith that you call us to. And so, as is so often in the scriptures, right after we get this story from the first 10 verses of chapter 17, the writer of Luke turns to give us a case study, to give us an example of what that embodied faith might look like. So let us continue listening now for a word from God as we hear these verses continuing where we left off last week in Luke chapter 17, starting with the 11th verse. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he, get this, was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to the man, rise and go, for your faith has made you well. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled... thanks. Oh God, we pray that your spirit would draw near to us now, that it would plunge into the depths of our own souls, that it would stir something within, that it would take that which is broken and sick and make it well. Indeed, oh God, we pray that through the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered together here in your sight, that they would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock 
and our Redeemer. Amen. My friend and former professor David Bartlett, an American Baptist, was fond of telling the story of an American woman who once went to London and while there took a tour of Westminster Abbey. She and the group that she was with were led through that beautiful, stunning, gothic nave. They took in the awe of the stained glass and the sheer volume of the space. They learned of some of the literary heritage of the United Kingdom and the Poets Corner and some of the history, both the glorious and not so glorious parts of it and the royal tombs. They even got to hear the choir and the organ as it practiced for that Sunday's worship. It was a remarkable experience. And at the end of the tour, the guide turned to the group and asked if anyone had a question. And this woman, the American tourist, no doubt a Baptist, Bartlett always liked to quip at this point in the story, raised her hand. She said, I have a question. Tell me, she said, has anyone here been saved recently? Has anyone here in this grand space been saved, she asked. In our story today, we have 10 lepers. Now, leprosy, of course, may be referring to the actual disease, but in the ancient world, that was a term that would also be used to basically include any kind of skin condition that others might consider contagious. We have 10 lepers in this story, all of whom are healed by Jesus, but only one who turns back to come and give thanks. And at the end of the passage, Jesus turns to this one leper there prostrate at his feet, and he says to him something very interesting. He says, your faith has made you well. I got curious if perhaps other translations might render that phrase slightly differently. And sure enough, I found another translation that took Jesus' words and rendered them as Jesus speaking to the man saying, your faith has made you whole. But still others, interestingly enough, have Jesus speaking to the man saying, your faith has saved you. Has anyone here been saved recently? You know, it seems that Jesus is certainly not talking about salvation in this context in the sense of heaven in the sense of what comes next. At other points in Luke's gospel, Jesus certainly is using the language of saving as one that refers and is meant to refer to that life that is still ahead of us all. Neither does it seem that Jesus is using that word saved to refer to being cured, right? Your faith has saved you in the sense that it is your faith which has cured you. Remember, there are nine other lepers, all of whom are healed in this story, and yet there are no references to the faith those other nine do or do not have. Instead, there seems to be a link in this story between salvation and gratitude. It is only to the one leper who comes and says, thank you, that Jesus declares your faith 
has made you well. Your faith has saved you. It's almost as if Jesus is saying that to be saved, to be saved is to know the love of God when you see it. And when you see it, to think to yourself, this, this is a love that is worthy of thanks. You know, so often when we read this story, I think we want to put ourselves in the position of those 10 lepers. Which one are we in that group, right? Am I the one who goes on my way or am I the one who turns back and gives thanks? But it's almost more interesting to me to wonder about us together. Which one are we as a church in this story? Right? What does it look like for a church, a body of believers like this one, to strike that posture of the leper in the story? Said differently, what are some of the characteristics that might define a body of believers as being a body who knows the love of God when they see it and who in turn says thank you? There are all sorts of clues, I think, sprinkled throughout these verses. For starters, we have Jesus, Jesus crossing borders in this story. Everywhere you look, borders are being crossed. Jesus, we are told here, is there in the borderlands between Israel and Samaria, two people who have effectively been at war with one another for generations at this point in the story. Jesus just as easily could have gone around. It would have taken him a little longer, but he could have done it. But instead, Jesus makes the conscious decision to walk there along that line between friend and foe. And then Jesus encounters this group of lepers. One of the commentators I read labeled this group a small company of misery, which seems like a pretty apt description because to be a leper in the ancient world was to be cast off. Right, The stigma that was attached to anyone with a disease that was, was assumed to be communicable in any sort of way was to be cut off from family, from your village, from your church. And they would band together because it was the only hope they had at survival. The stigma was so strong that there was a belief among some that if you were to just cross the shadow of someone with leprosy or something labeled as leprosy, you risked being made impure. The laws of purity were so strong in this ancient culture that to violate them was to risk your life itself. And yet Jesus does not fear shadows, does he? No, Jesus goes towards this group that has been cut off. Jesus crosses that line yet again. He dares to enter into their presence and all the risks that it carries with it. And he heals them. He shares that which he has to share, his healing touch. To be a church that strikes the posture of the grateful leper is to be one that is not afraid to cross the border, to literally cross the train tracks, to go to those places and towards those people who otherwise we might really prefer to keep at arm's length. It is to go towards those who are in the shadows, those who are at the margins, those who have been cast off and left to fend for themselves by the world. 
It is to be the body that goes towards people like that and shares what we have to share. Maybe there's another characteristic. Right? Jesus shares his healing power, and in that is an invitation for people and groups and churches like ours to share that which we have to share, to share our welcome with all those who find their way into this space, to share our care and our hospitality, to share our building, our campus, to share our time, to share our money. Why would we do it? Because it's not ours to begin with. We share that which we have because we recognize that everything we have has been placed into our own hands through no doing of our own. And when someone has given you a gift as sheer and free as that, what option is there but to open our hands to others? There are other clues here, of course, too. It's worth noting that the leper who does return, he doesn't do so quietly, does he? No, it says he comes with a loud voice, praising God. To be a church that models its life after the grateful leper is to be one who does what we are doing, who comes to worship with loud voices. Not to get anything out of it for ourselves. That's not why we are here. We are here to praise and give thanks to God. And maybe therein is the most important mark of a grateful body of believers. It is a group of people who have that very phrase on the tips of our tongues. That carry that phrase on our lips wherever we go. Those two simple words, thank you. To be a body of people who turn to those we're worshiping near each Sunday and say, thank you for being here. Thank you for telling me your name. Thank you for listening to my story. Thank you for serving me this meal. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I was coming back from Ohio earlier this year and I was flying through Atlanta. I don't know if anyone else does this, but whenever I have an, a layover in Atlanta, I like to go out to the F concourse. Y'all familiar? Any Hartsville lights here? I'm sure. No, we got people who travel pretty frequently. The F terminal is the relatively new international terminal. All the other terminals are so crowded, so I like to go out there if I have time and I just sit and it's cleaner and there just aren't as many people and there are beautiful windows that just lit in all the light and there's good restaurants there too, which always helps. I was sitting there on that particular layover on a phone call and I see this Delta plane taxiing across in front of me. And what struck me about this plane was what was painted on the side of it, not Delta, it was two words. I think we have a photo of it, maybe, we'll see. It was the words, thank you. Thank you. I took a picture of it, not this picture, uh, but I couldn't find that picture so I pulled this one. And I did some Googling that day as I sat there and watched it go by because I was so fascinated by what possesses an airline to paint the words thank you on it. And what I discovered is that they painted this plane back in 2019 after Delta had a windfall year and they did a profit sharing of like 1.6 or 1.9 billion dollars with all 90,000 of their employees. 
And at the, the uh, uh, unveiling of that thank you, they also unveiled this plane. But what I was most fascinated by was in the letters, if you ever find a photo of the close-up, they have printed all 90,000 employees' names, making up those big red letters that spell thank you. But I took a picture as it went by because I just love that image right away. That image of of a plane just flying across the world, broadcasting to anyone and anywhere it goes, thank you. Isn't that our call too? To be these people who go out into our lives and everything we do and everything we say and every interaction we have, to let it be one big thank you. At the same time, though, it's hard for us to be mad at the other nine, right? I mean, imagine, Lord knows how long they have been out there, cast away from their families and their community, and suddenly they find themselves healed. I mean, imagine the sheer elation and joy that must have just flooded them in that moment. I mean, they must have been skipping off down the road, carrying a load so light they never imagined they would have felt it again in their lives. It's hard to blame them. They're off to the priest where they're going to be ritually certified again as clean. They can already see the hot dinner that is on the table at home, a dinner that they haven't enjoyed for Lord knows how long, literally. We can't really blame them. And yet what is remarkable in this story is how little attention is paid to the physical healing itself. It's almost an afterthought, one, maybe two verses of the story. Instead, all of the focus is poured into that one leper that goes back to Jesus and to to say thank you. It's almost as if the author here is trying to say that the real healing, it doesn't actually come until that leper bows down before the one who has shared what he has to share and says, thank you. It's only in that act that the true wholeness, the true wellness, the true salvation comes to pass. I heard once, I don't know if this is legend or not, but I heard once that Mark Twain got a letter from some admirer of his work. And in the letter, there was a $5 bill and a request that Twain mail back to the sender his favorite word. Twain took the $5, the story goes, and he wrote a single word on a piece of paper and put it back in the mail. And when the person who had sent the letter in the first place received Twain's reply, he opened it, and there on the sheet of paper was one word, thanks. Thanks. You know, I like to think that maybe that's God's favorite word, too. Right, Because it is only in saying thank you that we acknowledge fully and finally that nothing we do in this life we do alone. 
Right? It is only in saying thank you that we can recognize that even if all we have left in our being is the breath in our chest, then we still have something to be thankful for. There's a pastor friend who told me once of a member of his congregation, a man who for decades was a pillar of the church. And early on in his retirement, far too early, the man was diagnosed with dementia and the disease rapidly progressed. And any of us who have lived with a loved one who suffers from that disease, we know the pain that comes with it. The pain of feeling like someone you love is being taken from you. And this friend said, sure enough, with this church member, it was like he disappeared in front of our very eyes. But even on his worst days and in the hardest weeks, this man had the intuition, he had the instinct to ask his caregiver to take him to church. And so he would come by the church regularly, even on those hard days. And he had this practice where he would go to each pastor and each staff member's office there on a weekday. And he wouldn't say anything else to them, but he would grip their hands and he'd look them in the eye and he'd say, thank you, thank you. And he'd go to the next person's office, thank you, thank you. And to the next, and to the next. This pastor friend said it was the most powerful and beautiful thing there was because it reminded us all that it all really is Thanks. Even when there's nothing left for us to offer, we still have thanks that we can share and give to another. So friends, has anyone here been saved recently? You know, I think the answer is right there at the edge of our tongues. Thank you, thank you, thank you. With thanksgiving to God, amen and alleluia.